1: mirror name. you twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am, mirror Welcome to episode 22 of the Arsenal Opinion podcast. We're doing this live in work hours, so we're trying to get quiet. Uh, but it's uh, it feels perfect for a somber podcast today because we had a very somber weekend, Matt and I. Spent some time in a in a bar watching Arsenal lose to Stoke. So I don't think this is going to be the most pleasant of, uh, of of listens today. But Alfred, how are you? I
0: am really, really well. I mean, I think
1: we we had a great weekend, right? It's the kind of results
0: that we are going to have to get used to being happy about. And I'm going to make a real effort to be happy about a 1-0 loss against the Stoke and take away the, the big positives from that.
1: We are now officially a top six team, guys. We have to be happy about this. How do you feel about being a top six, top seven side, map? Do depressed. you feel happy? Depressed. You're that,
3: depressed. That first game was, I'd forgotten how good it feels to win uh, an exciting game. And I was, you know, the joy of that Leicester win was with me all week. And I was so excited about um, Stoke away, which is a pretty stupid thing to be excited about. And <laughs> it
1: all came crashing down, didn't it? It was uh, it was depressing, but uh, beautifully familiar. Like it didn't it, it felt it felt like we hadn't left last season straight back into it, just being disappointed. It was like a comfy old sweater you haven't worn for a while. Yeah, and I think the the takeaway for me is that after the last podcast, I was like, look, I accept where we are. I accept the Wenger is going to be here forever, and I am at ease with it. But you know what? I am not. <laughs> I am not. I am angry. Well, I am. I think it was a glorious
0: game with lots of positive takeaways. What I want to uh, get into before we get carried away with the Stoke game is uh, my question to Matt. Which episode are we on and do we have any great players in store? We're on uh, episode 22, Alfred, and the
3: shirt number 22 is quite fitting uh, for today, really, because it's all a bit of a mess. Uh, We don't actually have a number 22 at the moment. Do you know that? No. Extraordinary. We did have a No tw- 22. It's a good thing we don't have a number 22 because the last 22, Yaya Sinogo. Oh. Oh. And, you know, <laughs> this is the sort of stuff that actually makes me really angry. Uh, I mean, <laughs>
1: come on. It, it don't just, go there. Don't go there.
3: It's just the stuff we were told about this guy, how he was going to come good. How uh, we shouldn't judge a player based on spending forty million on him. Well, we didn't spend forty million. We got Yaya Sinogo, and the highlight was four goals in the Emirates Cup, uh, our favourite cup competition. So that was Yaya Sinogo. Uh, the preceding number twenty-two to Yaya Sinogo, um, definitely a midfielder, uh, not particularly popular in these parts.
1: Cockalan. Oh, two smelly players there. Yeah, not great. I don't. Oh, the Coqueland. cock. Yeah, I don't hate him because uh, he has a, he has a nice backstory, but I don't think he's Arsenal quality. Uh,
3: Depends but, uh, our current Arsenal quality, maybe.
0: But
1: I do think when he
0: when he actually became a bit of a fan favorite for a while was when we had no defensive midfielder and we found Cochrane out of nowhere and he actually performed. For and a
3: while. now we've still got no defensive midfielder, but we're just bored of him. Um, that's Cochrane. Oh, this guy. Really underrated, I think. Um, Gael Clichy.
1: Gail Clichy, a great player. Yeah. Then went on to City uh, and won the league. Yeah. Wasn't very good. Uh, his final ball was pitiful.
3: But th- the fact that we didn't overly miss losing probably the left best left back of the Premier League era Ashley Cole. Yeah. The fact that we didn't really miss him is testament to how good Clichy is. I don't, I don't think he's as good as Ashley Cole, but he's, he was a pretty good replacement.
1: He was uh, an invincible. He was he was an invincible, wasn't he? he was yeah Oleg Luzny, only the horse. only man of the match of an FA Cup final to get sold the next season Southampton wasn't the best FA Cup final but no, it was we awful, won. wasn't it
3: we won uh, David Grandin, one of those like little French imports the of, early like, ones: yeah, one of the early ones. Yeah. Uh, always felt he could be good, but uh, only lasted a season. that was when we were able to sell players.
1: Yeah, back in the day.
3: When someone wasn't very good, we got rid of them. The good times. And then finally, so this guy was a funny one. Midfielder, quite cultured midfielder, probably a bit ahead of his time. Ian Selly. Do you remember him?
1: I do remember uh, Ian Selly, but I, I but Hazy. Hazy at best. Yeah, I mean. Did he, did he leave because he picked up a lot of injuries? He
3: was very sort of slight. Oh.
1: Yeah. And
3: sort of looked like a bit like an albino.
1: Yeah, the... <laughs> <laughs> The, the Meza Erzel of back in the day.
3: Yeah. yeah, he he would he would really fit in right now. So yeah, all in all, a pretty shitty number twenty-two, which is sort of fitting for a pretty shitty Monday.
0: This is really getting off to an awful, awful start. So since I have the most positive takeaways from the game, and I think we almost got uh, got a taste of the darkness in the previous uh, section, I thought I could intro this for us all the Stoke game, I brought two massive positives for me. Um, The first one is that we now finally know for certain that Bellerin is not great at left wing back. I know that the, the fan pressure had been immense. I even saw Hector on the left trending on Twitter and I heard that Theo Walcott was thinking that maybe left wing back was his true position. But then Wenger just went in there and with his incredible force of nature style, he said, I'm going to try Hector on the left. And boy, did that not work out well. So I'm very happy that we now know for a certain that he should not be on the left. The second thing we also know from this game, which I think was one of the large positive takeaways, was that the strategy to shoehorn Oxlade-Chamberlain in wherever, is not a good strategy. And I'm glad we found that out early this season and that we didn't go a couple of months in just trying this again and again and again until he would actually end up in goal to see maybe that could be where he fit. So two great, joyous moments for me that we finally know for sure that Hector shouldn't be on the left and no one should be on the left just because Ox wants to be on the right. Well, I think you're
3: saying we all know it for sure. I would be not particularly surprised if we saw it him playing on the left next week because it'd be a very Arsene Wenger thing to do it'd be a way of justifying that he wasn't crazy to play these people in stupid positions and uh, <laughs> it really wouldn't surprise me to see Bellerin play left back at Liverpool next week.
1: No I, I, I don't I don't I don't think Arsene Wenger really understands the system that he's employed here I just think he's seen that it work well for Chelsea and he wants to replicate it but I think it's one of those things that you might get away with replicating somebody else's system for a little bit, but if you don't truly understand it and then you don't, like the, the Conte makes it work because he drills it super hard uh, week in, week out. And you can see that in the way they play. I think our players look kind of clueless. But on a, like, I, I guess on the, so on the Stoke game, um, Arsene Wenger set up for failure almost instantly with his peculiar back line that saw Monreal play in the middle. Uh, Mustafi play on the right side and Kalasenich on the left side, so three fullbacks playing as centre backs.
3: Yeah, not Mustafi,
1: but he was the as, only person playing in a regular
3: position, I guess.
1: Yeah, and uh, and and we 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 paid for that. Sorry, I've been I'm kind of thrown on this section. <laughs> I mean, it's it's bizarre. I think it's it was like someone had pressed a
0: shuffle you know button in FIFA. When you looked at that back line, it was truly, truly bizarre. That nothing made sense because we we had a couple of centre backs ready who who actually know that role, and instead we are turning Monreal from a left wing back to now a centre back, and we are doing this away at Stoke. It's well, incredible.
3: We we saw it against Leicester, and the lineup looked strange, but it sort of had to because Sacco had got concussed and uh, Mustafi was injured. So we had to find a way of making the system work without having centre-halves. And the main reason to have three at the back, primarily for most clubs, is because you've got three good centre-halves who can play there. <laughs> but but I sort of get the fact that Monreal can actually play there because he's he's played there before. And so it wasn't I was a bit less aggrieved with that one. But then why you start mixing everyone up? Because surely the first rule of football is you try and play people in their best positions, which would mean... Kalasnik on the left, Bellerin on the right, um, Mustafi if he's fit in the middle, and then holding a Mertesacker or like a regular system or even one of those two centre-halves of Monreal who has at least played there before. But instead, we got everyone all over the place and immediately it sort of felt disjointed. Or it didn't, maybe it didn't feel that disjointed because we had so much of the possession so we weren't actually defending that much. But the moment we had to do any sort of defending,
1: it looked bizarre. I, and I, I still don't understand why he couldn't have played Murtsasaka. Like he, like he he didn't he didn't miss the Leicester game uh, because he, he tweaked a hamstring. He had a cut on his head. Like there was no reason for him not to start there. We really really miss having his his leadership. Yeah. He, uh, he he definitely he definitely should have started. So uh, selection selections aside, uh, the four three three. Sorry. The 3-4-3 system uh, looks like it's starting to creak um already. Like Matt, what's your uh, what's your opinion on, on what's going wrong here? Um I don't really mind the
3: system because I think we saw against Chelsea in the cup final how it can work. So
0: Sorry. Matt, who is calling you
3: now? That's awful, isn't it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you should you should pick it up and do that and do the ones like Han, you're on the pod. No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, yeah,
3: I don't have a problem with the system. I've got a problem with the way we're playing in it and the personnel because what, what we had learned in the cup final was that uh, you need total focus. Like every single ball you need to be focused on. And Xhaka and Oxlade-Chamberlain and all those people, they managed to put it off for that one game. And you saw it. You saw it like a discipline. You saw the way Xhaka and Ramsey dovetailed in that game but sort of it just feels like they've forgotten over the summer i don't feel like the motivation was strong enough for the second game of the season maybe they just thought they were going to go there and it was all going to be fine because the reality is we have got much better players than stoke and we should have won the game so i think it was an attitudinal issue as much as anything it was a lack of focus and composure and that has that is what's been familiar and that's why there was a sense of familiarity with the performance it's because we are much better than stoke and we have got the players on the pitch who can easily get rid of Stoke if the attitude is right but yet again it's just been that like 2 or 3% of focus is missing where we give balls away we don't chase back we get in wrong positions and guess what it just came back to
1: to 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 harm us it's a it's a really odd mix of uh like discipline issues uh and uh, like mental issues in the squad that we've got going on at the moment. I mean, imagine if you're a player in, uh, in that squad at the moment, you've got Chamberlain playing like he doesn't give a fuck, like taking shots from 34 yards out, playing Hollywood passes um, whenever he can. You've got Ozil who isn't going to sign on uh, to a new deal this summer and he's not focused um, at the best of times or not willing to put in the extra 20% needed in games like Stoke. Um, then you've got players like Danny Welbeck, who, like, bless him, doesn't seem to uh, doesn't seem to be able to do it in front of goal, despite looking good in almost every other aspect um, of his game. Um, and then you've always got that uh, that sort of subplot that Arsene Benga is two games away from the fans um, turning on him, and it just feels like. It Feels like a, a a big mess, and then you've got a new system that the players don't seem uh, don't seem focused on, or don't seem to understand as much as other players. So it's uh, it's very it's it's becoming harder and harder to pinpoint exactly what playing what the disaster is, because there's so many going off. There's so many little fires all over the squad. The big thing right now that's really. Getting me really angry, actually,
3: is (laughs) this whole catalyst for change. Because we're now a week out from the end of the transfer window and nothing has changed. And that was the whole problem with the performance we've seen. It's exactly the same. Everything is exactly the same. We haven't invested properly in the squad. We spent £50 million million on Lacazette, which is peanuts in the current transfer market. And it's less than all the teams who are already better than us. Uh, there's this horrible sort of sense that there's going to be a sting in the tail with a big, de- with a departure of one of Oxo Chamberlain, Özil, or Sanchez in the next week, and there won't be enough time to replace them. And it's also just the way that the narrative of the summer has gone from Mbappe to Lamar to Seri to anyone, and. You know, guess what? It's just exactly the same. We've just lost our second game of the season to Stoke. So, you know, all these grand uh, statements of intent and catalysts for change and all that, nothing has happened. Everything is exactly as it was, and it's about to get worse. Well, that marks the end of part one. So we're going to take you down uh, a trip down memory lane um, and just the sense that you might just have seen this all before.
2: Fàbregas and Nasri in the squad for the weekend. Fàbregas uh, not in the squad, and Nasri certainly not. I will decide that today.
0: Nasri is not
2: in the squad. Is he fit 100? He he had uh, he went for the national team. He was sick, and he is not completely recovered yet.
0: Are there other a- uh, aspects of his situation why he's not in the squad?
2: you saying it's only down to being sick. There are no other aspects why he would not be in the squad, I will decide that today. He can be in the squad, I don't know yet. Depends a little bit as well on the, other, on the situation of the other players.
1: Arsene, do you expect Sesk and Samir to leave the club by
0: the
2: weekend? I expect nobody to leave the club. So you
0: believe they will stay at the
2: club, those two players? Uh, that's a good uh, conclusion from my statement.
0: Barcelona
2: have briefed one or two people saying that negotiations are progressing. Are you going to sit there and say that that briefing is wrong? Well, uh, I believe uh, the best for us uh, one day before the Championship starts is not uh, to focus on the possible transfers. I cannot say it will never happen. I do not say it will happen, but uh, at the moment there is no news. and uh, If you have any news, to give you, uh, we will, I promise you, we'll do it. But what we want today is to focus on the players who play tomorrow and not on the players who do not play. The players who can help the club to achieve performances are more important than the players who don't.
1: So, going to carry on from Matt's uh, initial dance down the road of um, our horrific summer. Uh, So, things that, uh, that the, the plot that's currently going on Uh, At the moment. So Alexis Sanchez clearly wants to leave now. His agent is recommending that he stays on for another year. I don't think he's fussed um, either way. But uh, an unfocused Alexis Sanchez uh, is going to be difficult going into next season. It's his last World Cup coming up. So we might have three or four months of like really solid play. But then we will see Alexis trying to protect his hamstrings and making sure that he's like fighting fit uh, for Chile's World Cup. Um Oxlade-Chamberlain doesn't look like he wants to be there anymore. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious the way that he was playing at the weekend. That's a player that might not uh, want to be there. And who's been treated
3: badly by the club?
1: He has, I kind of feel like this was uh, Flamini in uh, the 2007-8 season when we tried to flog him to Steve Bruce's Birmingham. And he was like, absolutely no way. And then Gilberto, Lasana Diara both got injured and he came in and bossed it. And then he was like, I'm going to Milan um, come the summer. Um, we've got Ozil, who doesn't want to sign a new contract. Arsenal, I'm going to pay him uh, mega wages because, uh, to be perfectly honest, he doesn't deserve it. Uh, none of the big clubs are coming in for him, which is extremely telling, considering how much money is in the market at the moment. Uh, and that's, that's across the Premier League and across all of the other clubs. Then we've got players like Jack Wilshire. Uh, whose contract is up. Santi Cazorla, whose contract is up. Per Mantisakas. So you've got six players with a year left on their deal, which is uh, appalling to, to start with. All we've done is sign uh, we signed Lacazette, which you know could potentially be a great signing. And Kolasinic looks brilliant. We've not been able to sell anybody. And here's an interesting stat. Arsenal haven't sold any player above £15 million pounds since we sold Robin van Persie that was that was 5 years ago so we've got so Arsene Wenger is lumbered with a squad full of players that he doesn't trust all earning too much money for him to sell on uh, and replace and i think the reality is that he doesn't have a plan outside of what he got what he's got now and that is interesting uh, that could potentially be interesting if it, if we see how it pans out because if Arsene Wenger is prepared to leave 120 million Pounds worth of players, uh, like in the squad, like he's potentially teeing up a disaster for next year. But it says to me that he's not thinking long term because any of the last 10 seasons, he would have banked that money and then used that for an excuse to be in transition for three years. But so maybe there's a bit of fear, which could potentially be a good thing. So, like, maybe there's only two years left of this. But, like, what do, like, what's your guys' thoughts of the of the various scenarios available to us over the next few weeks?
0: Well, I think we have more of a wage issue than we have a funds issue. That one of the reasons why we might not have signed certain players this this year is because we can't afford their wages, rather than that we can't afford their fee. And if you follow that logic, and if you just try that logic out, for Wenger to just wait for these players to leave next season, and he sees next season being an incredible opportunity to sign people because he are three big wages are gone. And he can suddenly offer huge wages to other people going some free transfers. And he can actually start to compete with a Man City who where players don't go to Man City because someone could afford the fee, but because of the wages. So I do think that Wenger feels like he has a, a wage issue a, a, above everything else. And I mean, the example with Jenkinson today, uh, that he is not offloaded. Like, why don't they just like terminate his contract? It is, it is bizarre that we're going to watch him at Birmingham this season. I can understand, you know, like we're like, but and come on, that he is at the club.
1: It's just absolutely extraordinary. But actually, but when you when you uh, take that logic, so losing 120 million to be able to pay a couple of million extra in wages is not right. Like we we've got what 150 million in cash reserves. So like we can, we could bump up uh we could bump up the wage bill, but like leaving 120 million euros on the table isn't going to allow us. Like even with the players, I mean, like what Sanchez is 110 grand a week, Erzl 110 grand a week, um, Chamberlain, like I don't know, maybe 60. Like that, that's still what's that's still less than the total salary Wayne Rooney was rocking at Man United last season.
0: Yeah, but we know that transfers today is not someone gets a check for 100 million euros in their hand and then the player leaves. It's paid out over six seasons. It's loads of different conditions being met. So the real actual cost today to a club and to its finances, when you're looking if you're a profitable club or not, in the immediate term is the new players wages. The reason why you can sign, um, you know, like Neymar is foremost because you can immediately afford his wages. It's not because you have 220 million in the bank.
1: I think with PSG, it literally was wasn't it? PSG probably literally were a cash. Check. They did.
3: I think. They, I think. But that was. I think that was the anomaly. But I think. Look what I think everyone's right here. I think it's going to be a massive relief to have these people off the, uh, off the salary next season, and it's going to help us in terms of the way our business is structured. So that's a good thing that they are leaving. Uh, and I think this is what Wenger was alluding to when he said, you know, you're going to see more and more people come to the end. The problem is you have to do that and you have to then go and get the money that you've got for you, that's being offered for the players right now who have got a year left because it's your final chance to cash in. And I think what we, what this is really all coming down to is this has been really, really badly mismanaged for several years. And it's like coming up to a head next season. And it's the absolute thing that a director of football would have been all over if we'd hired one a couple of years ago and it would be how do we, when do we, when do we sell players? I mean, you look at what Chelsea have done with Matage, and you can say what you want about whether it's a good deal or a bad deal, but they signed a replacement for less money. who's younger and more mobile. Ch- and Chelsea
1: have one of the most balanced sort of net transfer spends in the league. Yeah, and David Louise
3: going and then buying him back for less money. And we at Arsenal only look at our transfer policy one way. That We're only interested in incomings. But unless you're looking at it from an incoming and an outgoing perspective, you can't really ever be that effective in the transfer market, I don't think, because you actually end up after a few years, like a situation we've got now, we've got 33 players, about 12 of which we've got no interest in, all blocking up spaces that other clubs could be filling and taking up wages that they could be filling and with no sell-on value. So it's it's
1: like, uh, but it's it's also history repeating itself. I wrote the I, I wrote a post earlier in the summer identifying about eight hundred and sixty thousand pounds a week that we have that we're wasting on players that aren't good enough and that we can't sell. Uh, I wrote a very similar post in two thousand and eleven. Uh, when we had the project youth issue where we signed all these young kids on socialist wages and we couldn't get rid of them. And we've gone into another summer where it's like the, the, the whole Arsene Wenger is a great business person, is well and truly bust now, and we still didn't say, look, Arsene, you're wasting horrendous amounts of money. Uh, you don't know the true value of players, so we're going to put a director of football in to manage it. I mean, you, like, Just cast an eye over to what Juventus have done uh, this summer. Ten in, ten out, balanced books. Perfectly, 120 million. They spent 120 million. They brought back in, like Chelsea. Like they're, I don't know what they're. I think they're. I think they might even be in surplus. Like Spurs, probably in a surplus. Like, where's where's our wheeling and dealing ability gone these days?
0: But I, I just think w- what I was trying to say earlier is we're talking about a football club being run as a lemonade stand, while it's much more like buying and investing in a wine cellar with a credit card. Like, when you buy a player and when you sell a player, that is not like a cash transfer. It is, first of all, you don't want to make the first payment for a player until the next year to make sure that you get um, you you get the right book. So there is, I'm not that worried about the fact that we are not getting loads of money for Sanchez, etc., because I don't think what we have is an actual cash flow problem. If Arsenal truly had a cash flow problem... I would be really worried about us not cashing in on them right now. What I think we have is an extreme imbalance in wages and that we've created a bit of a monster there, which I think Wenger is actually talking about and being quite open about in a lot of different ways. And he's saying, you know, we have a completely uh, bloated squad with 33 players or something like that. The fact that we are not getting... 40 million for Sanchez this year doesn't mean that we suddenly have 40 million pounds to just go out and buy a player for, because that's not the problem we have. So quick question, isn't
3: there, I mean, there's obviously a massive irony in the fact that Wenger is complaining about having too many players who he he doesn't want anymore when he
1: bought them all. So yeah, I, I agree. Like b- being able to shift these players on seems to be a problem, and I think there's um there's also the element of ruthlessness that we lack. I think we should be saying to Kieran Gibbs, we'll pay up half your contract now. You can leave on a free and go and earn a fortune elsewhere because we don't want because it's not just clogging up the wage bill. It's clogging up the the culture uh, around the club, but also like Wenger needs to get more ruthless in selling players. We could have sold Aaron Ramsey after the 2016. Uh, Euros, we could have sold him for forty-two million. We wouldn't get that right now. We could have sold Jack Wilshire last season for twenty-five million because he had a bit of prestige about him. We should have sold Chesney instead of loaning him out when he had a bit of value to him. I don't. So there's there's a whole mixed bag of things that really should all be sold by hiring in a really smart director of football or having a CEO that could do both, like Juventus.
3: Had. And look at what uh, Conte's done with Costa, where his contract's not up and he's just told him. You're not in my plans.
1: Yeah, and pl- most pl- like there aren't many players, with the exception of like Wayne Bridge, who you could say you're not going to play or train. There aren't many players that want to sit on the bench and do nothing. So if you say if you said to Gibbs, Gibbs, Jenks, all of those guys, you're not going on loan. Like you are gonna sit in the reserves. Well, we're gonna play you with the under twelves. And you don't come back uh until you do it. I reckon out of like if you did that to six of them, I reckon four would be like, Give me a transfer. I'll take I'll take less money, like do me a deal. And I don't understand why we don't make those deals. I'm pretty sure that we made a deal with Danielson though, didn't we? We terminated his contract early. Was it Denilson? It was one of them anyway, but I think I think that most most big clubs would, would opt for that. So Let's start getting all. Let's get the uh, the uh, ten the
3: seven players you want to get rid of. Let's call them the Arsenal Seven and ship them off to the Arsenal Under Twelves, and hopefully they'll be gone in a week.
1: But you've you've both played in teams where you have players that you know are just not going to want to get involved in the dirty work, and you can't expect them to. That's just not his job. Yeah, but Jake, know? they've got to. They've got to. You hate that. You hate the thought of that. Listen. I... I you're talking about your Burkamps and your Omri's and your Vieira's and all these guys they give you everything in the game both sides of the game they put their foot in and they can play Arsenal can't afford to carry someone like Ozil today he wants to have a good look at himself he's not kidding us watching the game it's not real he felt like he was going through the motions today a lot of the time and I think there in the goal that they concede shows that if he has a quick reaction he can get back into position and help Jacko. but he doesn't react quick enough we've said this about him a hundred times
0: yeah I know well, Arsene Wenger's got to address it, because out of possession, you're a man down. If you've got a man who doesn't fancy running back and busting her gut and doing dirty work, out of possession, you're a man down. So it's got to be addressed.
3: I just don't think you understand. He's better than Zidane. Mesut Ozil, uh, we are still having this
1: debate. Are the only one who's bored of it? Uh, yeah, I'm completely bored of it. But you know why I'm bored of it? Because I don't think that... Uh... I, I think people give him too much leeway. I think there's too many Arsenal players that you need to like go to the library and take four books out on to understand like you know this the mythical powers that they have off the back of it. Meza Ozil is a quarterback. He's a quarterback. Like he he can launch beautiful passes. Like he'll always find his man. Like he'll carve open teams. But the Premier League isn't about quarterbacks. You need to be a more well-rounded midfielder. And Stevie G. Uh, Martin Keown took Ozil to task those are two really good players Um, like Martin Keown is a massive creep when it comes to anything Arsene Wenger does so for him to pipe up and have an opinion is quite miraculous and I I completely agree with him I think that we give him too much leeway because he plays beautiful passes and he looks good on the stats I think the quarterback analogy is brilliant
0: because in American football what you do with the quarterback as soon as you switch to defense is get him off the pitch. And he actually only ever uh, is on the pitch when you attack, which is a little bit what it's like to play with Ozil because he starts walking, if you're lucky, towards our own goal when when we defend. And I don't know how many times last season you just saw him kind of get out of the way of, of, an, of an attacking player from the, from the opposite team. And the fact that you're sitting now feeling that well you know our superstar is injured and has abdominal pains or whatever it is he actually has a tummy ache and therefore Sanchez isn't playing but the fact that we are saying we are are not a full squad away against Stoke when we should be having a world-class player in us who should be a leader who on that wage should do way much more for us than the occasional beauty of a pass. And yes, they're stunning passes, but I am also bored with him. He does not contribute, and you don't have a sense ever that it's okay, we're going to win this because Ursa's on the pitch.
3: Yeah, I sort of disagree, because I think he offers, in terms of productivity, and when I say productivity, I don't mean the... Uh, ex Liverpool pundit's uh, idea of productivity, which is about like looking like you know you run around a lot and like harrying people and chasing people down, all those idiots think about, but in terms of the intelligence of his runs, uh, his passing statistics, his ability to deliver key passes, assists, all of that means he 's an incredibly productive player. What that means is you have to put him in a system that can work. And I think in our in performances where we've played well, like the cup final, um, it works because you've got players around him who have got discipline. Uh, you can't expect him to chase back and Harry, and he does have a lackadaisical, uh, uh sort of style about him. But I just think it's just so boring that he's the go-to person when uh, you you sort of when we have a bad result. Um, and, and so occasionally that criticism is justified but the majority of the time it's not and to hear someone like Stephen Gerrard g- talk about Grin Stephen Gerrard made his whole career out of pumping Hollywood passes harrying people c- c- clapping all that sort of crap the reality is he never won a league title often down to his own individual errors whether was all those bloody slips uh, the guy is actually a bit of a loser and i'm just not going to have it him talking about a world cup winner multiple trophy awarded unbelievable player like meza Erzl. i'm
1: just i'm just not going to have it I, 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 what we were talking about earlier because i was stumbling over trying to get to the the heart of the transfer problems because it's such a complex e- ecosystem of bullshit going on at the moment i feel like it's the same on the playing side like meza Erzl offers um, a lot when you build a system uh, that perfectly contributes to like his skill set but like reality is He doesn't really give a fuck. uh, And, like, you can see it evidenced all over the pitch when they do compilations of him not being interested. You've got Alexis Sanchez, who's going to come back into the side. uh, Like... Great productivity, scores a lot of goals, but he's got like a, what, 73% pass completion rate. Like one in four of his passes goes missing. Gives the ball away more than like any four in, in, the, in the Premier League, apparently. I, don't, I haven't seen the specific stat, but there's an awful one about it. We've got Shaka, who uh, like has incredible distribution, like 100% pass completion rate, but he makes a stupid mistake in uh, in every single game, there are so many factors impacting why this squad just isn't really balanced and isn't really set up for success. And I think that too many people look at that like, key passes per game with Özil and he's forgiven for everything. And G- I think Gerard calls well, it right. Think, so I you're think, you're down a man when you're defending. But against I think it. what
3: what you've just said is is spot on in the sense of it's like it's like there's two faces of Arsenal. There's the wonderful face of Arsenal, which is. Beautiful, which is goals and wonderful pieces of play which and that's that's one side of arsenal the other side is just the, is is the terrible side of arsenal the capitulations the people in wrong positions and all of those things and what I think other teams with good managers do is that they build systems that account for their players weaknesses so they put people in positions where uh, their positives Uh, are accentuated and their weaknesses are covered off by other people. So they might have a, look at someone like Chelsea, right? You might have Gary Cahill, who's not particularly fast, but you'll put David, but he's rock solid. And you put someone like David Luiz, who's like really mobile, great passer, uh, maybe not as solid as Cahill, but the two complement each other. And I think that's one of the problems with this Arsenal team is that we don't build, teams and structures that can compensate for people's weaknesses so through no fault of their own they can become victims when you know things that they've never been good at and they just haven't got the skill uh, can't be compensated by other players so why don't we put Granite Xhaka next to a really tough well, mobile central midfielder who can cover some of that side of him so we can focus more on his ability to spray the ball around and pass, you know?
1: So here's a a question for you both. Uh, And I know that a lot of people in the comments section were talking about this after the Chelsea game. Uh, Are Arsenal uh, a less glamorous-looking side, but a more functional side without Ozil and Sanchez in? Because the community shield, uh, we looked very solid, Everybody knew their role um, properly, and we didn't. We're not having these debates. Like, yeah. is is there is there like merit in in you know Ozil offers a lot, but he doesn't offer enough um, in our system, and maybe reverting back to uh, El Neni, Jacka uh, was it Ramsey and uh, the it wasn't Ram- Ramsey it's wasn't Elneny there either. El and Xhaka,
3: and then they played the following week. I'm a crap! Um, so you know, I think you can get away with not playing them. But I think, you know, you just look at the numbers and you're taking away an awful lot of goals and assists by not playing
1: them. Ozil out. Okay, I guess so. um, Looking forward to the next uh, batch of games uh, that we've coming up, particularly away from home. So next up is uh, is Liverpool uh, on Sunday the 27th, away from home. That'll be interesting because they've looked uh, particularly terrible. Uh, Then we've got uh, Bournemouth, and then we start Spurs Day Night Football, 13th of September. Reality truly hits home how far we've sunk. Um, but we do have a, an awful run of away games: uh, Liverpool, Chelsea, uh, Watford, who are uh, like under a new management, Everton, and Manchester City. <laughs> it's not a, it's not, oh. a, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be really tough. But um, yeah, I mean, it, so uh, Arsenal's got to shake it up. He's got to. We'll, we'll, we'll soon find out um like when when's the transfer window close next week yep so uh, so we'll know how the season lines up alfred have you got um any like moments of joy to send people off
0: i mean i think that's that's what we're going to have to start becoming experts at right it's if we can't enjoy you know us winning we're going to have to take take pleasure out of other things either we can do it in our own team and i think one strategy could be to just Enjoy the fire. Enjoy watching it all burn and and take great pleasure out of that, which is weird. But there's part of me which is looking forward to these away games just to see how bad it could possibly get again. And there is something in that weird kind of masochistic feeling of, of losing when you're an Arsenal fan, which which I could take pleasure out of. The other thing that I that I just have to mention is, you know, we're all sad that we haven't signed Seri or Draxler or Leymar or all these players from Liga, But watching Neymar versus Toulouse, it did remind me of what a terrible league Ligue 1 is. And how, like, yes, Neymar is an extraordinary player for 220 million euros. But the way that he was running around on that field reminded you that A lot of player can be made to look really good in that league at the moment.
1: George Best when he was playing for the Cosmos.
0: Yes, I mean it was. I I can take some pleasure out of that. Uh, I can still not really take pleasure out of uh, Matuidi being sold for twenty million euros, which I would have enjoyed. But um, and then and finally, another thing that I that I'm taking some joy out of at the moment is that the three of us is in a fancy league, and I think this afternoon we have the chance to go joint top. Uh, with our three uh, respective teams,
1: that is exciting. I'm rubbish at I'm rubbish at that normally. Um, any any joy for you to pass on to um, the listeners before we go? Well, Matt? look,
3: it's going to be there's there's it's going to be a really hard run of games, isn't it? Um, and you just it's really difficult to see how we're going to come out of this not completely broken by that because. Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City. Tottenham. I mean, they are. You look at all of those teams and you go, we're not very good against any of the way those touch teams play. Uh, and it's going to be really worrying times. I think the only hope is that Liverpool have looked really poor in the, in the first two games that I've seen. Palace and, game was awful. And if we can go and beat Liverpool at Anfield next week, then our season's back on track. It is, because we'll have beaten a main rival forth um and that will give a confidence big boost so I'm hoping that we can do the uh do do the do what we need to do against a pretty weak looking team and hopefully that will give us a bit of confidence and momentum to to go on because let's just be honest I mean it's awful but we could have easily won that game against Stoke 3-0 so maybe it's too early for maybe I'm just perking up a bit by uh, midday
1: yeah I think it's going to be an up and down season and we've got to face that my moment of joy is the, the transfer window is going to be shut uh and then we uh, then we'll know where we stand with uh our contract rebels and also the transfer window I think is changing next season I think they're trying to push through rules to uh to make sure that it's closed before the season starts so there'll be an even shorter window to be disappointed with so that's very exciting
3: the other thing is, I'm not sure our livers can cope with what happens when we go out after an Arsenal loss because it does does create some yeah, problems.
1: And, and, but when you're in London, there's there's only a, a short window to get like really awful. But the, the the 16 hours, 16 hour binge that went on after, yeah, definitely not good. So hopefully, we can win a few more games. Anyway, uh, that was the first podcast of the new season in the Premier League. We're going to get these going on the more, on the more regular. It's going to be um, every Monday. Uh, if you've got any feedback, um, let us know. Keep it positive. And until then, we shall say goodbye. Thank you very much for joining, Alfred. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Ciao for now. Streaming your favorite shows, movies, live sports, breaking news, exclusive originals. It's The Office. That's what she said. Chrisley Knows Best. It's going to be Todd's Way or the Highway. And Peacock original shows like Punky Brewster. Holy mackinoli. So whether you're in the mood for every live WWE pay-per-view or every episode of Law & Order SVU, Peacock's
3: got you covered. Peacock, watch for free, upgrade for more. Stream now at
1: PeacockTV.com